The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Volume 1. The Prehistoric World. Episode 6. Prehistoric Speech and Language. of the World Podcast, we have tracked the story of human evolution, from the last common ancestor of humans and chimpanzees, to its hominin descendants, which are those animals distinctly pre-human, and the first human animals. We have explored the way that hominins have physically changed. We have also looked at the necessary changes required to move with the times, as the climate of the earth has changed. We have seen how the hominins had to spend less time in the trees and more time learning how to survive on the ground. This has in turn led to changes in diet and intelligence. We have been motivated into quickly learning how to use our surrounding resources to survive, such as exploiting stone and fire and manipulating these resources to aid our survival. We have seen how we felt it necessary to expand from our home in Africa and look for different surroundings safe in the knowledge that we have learned enough to be able to adapt to the altering conditions of living in lands further north than the more temperate and predictable climates of Africa. One thing has to be taken very seriously though. Humans would not have been able to do this had they not existed in tribal groups of what is suggested to be around 30 or 40 members. And these individuals within the groups must have had the ability to effectively communicate with one another so that the tribe could work together as a cohesive unit. So how did they do it? Did they talk to each other as we do today? And what language did they use if so? Now, our previous podcast episodes have looked closely at the hominins themselves and their ability to manufacture stone tools and manipulate fire. Most of the material used has been based on archaeological evidence, such as fossilised hominin bones and the stone tools themselves and scorched artefacts. These have done a lot to enable us to construct a story of the evolution of humans. Where on earth do we go to excavate conversations? It is an impossible thing to do. Voices and conversations do not get buried for three million years to be discovered by archaeologists. Language We have to develop an understanding of the modern human's ability to speak and to develop language. Clearly, language usage is a process developed in the brain. So what do experts say about our brain and what its processes are in relation to language? Language itself can be broken down into the following aspects. Firstly, the ability to make a vocal sound. The brain must utilise the mouth and throat to make the sound, and the ear must be able to interpret the sound. This is not even completely dissimilar to sign language, where the brain must utilise the body to make a movement, and the eye 
must be able to interpret the movement. It is a form of communication and the brain processes are very similar. The brain must also be able to process how the individual words or actions construct a general meaning when put together. For example, a fire is a hot thing which burns things. A place is a particular location. However, a fireplace is somewhere where a fire is contained. So the two words together have a specific meaning which needs to be known and remembered by the brain to be understood. This kind of word is called a compound noun. The same cognitive principle applies when talking about sentences. The manner in which something is communicated is important too. If I was directing you to go somewhere to find a piece of food and I knew that it was near the fire, I might suggest that you look out for the fire, which would allow your brain to understand that I was telling you that the food was near the fire. However, if I was to shout the exact same phrase in a very excited fashion, look out for the fire, then that might mean that you were too close and were in danger. Even if I was sitting next to you by the fire eating the food, purely by gesturing a piece of food towards you, you could easily translate that as an invitation to share my food with you without me even saying a single word. All of these put together would be our language to each other and therefore our means to communicate with each other. A great deal of these processes carried out in the cerebral cortex of the brain which is the bulk of the brain as you look at it. The cerebral cortex is responsible for memory, perception, awareness and thought, among other things as well as language. All of these things were undoubtedly enhanced constantly throughout hominin evolution. So a large part of understanding how our cognitive capability evolved would be to study how and when our brain changed during its evolution. Certainly we have touched on this subject previously when we discussed the evolution of our brain and the phenomenon of its size increase, what we call encephalization. Encephalization. So we could suppose that our cognitive ability and therefore our language skills could be closely linked to the size of our brain. So if we say that the average modern human brain is about 90 cubic inches in size, then going backwards in history, Neanderthals on average were 87 cubic inches, so very similar. Homo erectus was 59 cubic inches, so significantly smaller. Homo habilis was 40 cubic inches, so less than half the size of modern humans. Australopithecines were just 28 cubic inches, which is around a third of the size. So encephalization of the human brain is absolutely impossible to ignore. The question is, would Australopithecines, with their 28 cubic inch brain, have the cognitive ability to learn and produce any kind of language, and would he also have the ability to understand it if it was being used towards him? Well, once again, we have to compare it to something that exists in the modern world. Our closest living relatives the chimpanzee has a brain that is a very similar size to the Australopithecines. So, can a chimpanzee learn and use a language? This is a question that has been asked many times in the past.
Chimpanzee language. In the 1940s in Florida, in the United States, Keith and Catherine Hayes decided to raise a baby chimpanzee. They attempted to teach the chimpanzee, called Vicky, how to talk. They managed to teach Vicky how to say four words on her own. However, it was hard work and hard work from very intelligent human teachers. The Australopithecines would not have had such intelligent teachers, so therefore if Vicky didn't have the intelligence to verbally say words, then it is likely that Australopithecines would not have had the intelligence either. However, later on in the 1960s, still in America, but this time in Nevada, another young chimpanzee called Washo was being introduced to language, but this time, sign language. Trixie and Alan Gardner were able to teach Washo around 300 signs. When you watch footage of Washo, there appears to be absolutely no doubt that Washo has the intelligence to use signs to convey her current mood and be able to visually understand signs directed towards her. She was able to form compound nouns to describe things, creating the phrase water bird to describe a swan. She could also differentiate between contexts, so she could use the words in question form or statement form, using the nature of expression to signify which. If she was asking a question, she would pause at the end of her signing to indicate that she was looking for a response, in contrast to a much more definite signing when she wanted to make a statement. The one thought-provoking exercise carried out with Washo was that when she was asked who she could see in the mirror, she responded by signing me, Washo, demonstrating an ability to recognise herself. Many scientists have believed that self-consciousness is something exclusive to humans. Washoe had also taught signs to other chimpanzees, demonstrating that chimpanzees do actually have the capacity to enhance and evolve a language through the generations. This would strongly suggest that lingual communication between Australopithecines was an absolute possibility. The one thing that the chimpanzee cannot do very well is make the sounds that a modern human can make. But could the Australopithecines? Before I go any further, I just want to encourage you all to watch a YouTube video of Washo. I'm going to post the links on the blog and on the Facebook page. You should watch it. It's enchanting to say the very least. It's wonderful. Just watch this chimpanzee develop language and it is absolutely amazing. I highly recommend it. I will post the links, I promise. Physical vocalisation. We ought to look closely at what it is about modern humans that can make the wide range of sounds required to speak a modern language because these same physical attributes do not appear to be present in chimpanzees. Otherwise, Washo would have certainly had the intelligence to speak if she had had the physical capability. If we were to assume 
the Australopithecines had the intelligence, then did they have the physicality? Our voices are created in a very general sense using acoustic noises made by our mouths and throats for the consonants and our larynx at the bottom of our throats to make the vowel sounds. The vowel sounds are very important due to the fact that these are the sounds that can be used at different volumes and we can also control the pitch of the vowels which accounts for our ability to say the same sentence completely understandably in a low voice or a high voice. The human larynx is clearly a very versatile vocal tool that is very well developed for our complex language. The larynx itself is made up of muscle, ligaments and cartilage but also one of the most important things is that it has at the top of it a hyoid bone. As we know, bones can become fossilised. So if we excavate a fossilised hyoid bone, then it could offer clues relating to the vocal capability of the animal which it came from. The problem is that the hyoid bone is not connected to any other bone in the human body. So it creates a problem when assessing its exact position and its exact position is quite important due to the fact that in modern primates the larynx is much higher in the throat than in humans and we believe that the lower position of the larynx in humans gives us a greater acoustic variety to our speech. The real fact of the matter is that human vocal production biology has altered so immensely that it has confused scientists about what could have happened and why. The vocal tract is directly linked to the airways needed for breathing. So any adaptation of this that we might suppose has facilitated language evolution may actually be linked to a simple necessity to breathe differently now that we have suddenly become upright runners since the evolution of Homo erectus. Add to this the strange anomaly that the male voice breaks during puberty quite dramatically compared to other primates when our sexual body mass dimorphism is less. So why does the male human voice need to break so dramatically? There are still a great deal of questions unanswered. Hominin hyoid bone. On the 10th of December 2000, the Ethiopian paleoanthropologist Zeresene Alemseged was working at Dikika, Ethiopia, when he discovered the partial skeleton of an Australopithecus afarensis. The skeleton was determined to be that of a three-year-old female, but significantly the hyoid bone fossil was preserved and recovered. She was called Selam, and is around 3.3 million years old. Although it is impossible to determine exactly how far down the throat that Selam's hyoid bone sat, it is apparent that the hyoid bone is more similar to that of a modern chimpanzee than it is of a modern human. Archaeologists have reported the findings of a fossilised Homo erectus hyoid bone in Castel de Guido, near Rome, Italy. Their analysis of this bone, which is around three to four hundred thousand years old, has led them to believe that the larynx was rather underdeveloped compared to modern human morphology. The Kibara II Neanderthal, which was found in Kibara Cave, Israel, dates to 60,000 years ago and was found with its hyoid bone too. This time the hyoid bone was determined to be very similar to that of the modern human, 
leading some experts to claim that the Neanderthals did have a good vocal capability and would have spoken in languages. As ever, there are those that contest this and believe that this doesn't categorically prove anything, even claiming that pigs have hyoid bones similar to humans. And when was the last time anyone had a conversation with a pig? We will discuss the Kibara 2 Neanderthal in more detail in the next podcast. What does all this mean? Well, if you want my non-expert opinion, I do believe that all we have discussed in today's podcast bears relevancy to the story of how human speech and language evolved. As with anything that evolves, it will evolve slowly. We should not think of speech and language as something that just happened one day. Hominins older than 10,000 years ago had a comparatively simple lifestyle and would surely not have needed to communicate on the intellectual levels that we come across in the ancient societies of Greece and Egypt, for example. However, Homo sapiens have existed for almost 200,000 years, and this is probably a big turning point in the history of speech and language. Communication, speech and language will have existed in some capacity right back from the Australopithecines. Even if it was simple grunts, cries and bodily gestures, it would have been a form of communication and language. As the pressures of climate change and evolving into the dexterous and upwardly mobile Homo erectus dawned on the hominins, their ability to communicate would have had to have improved as a consequence, although it would have still been very archaic by our own modern standards. The words would have likely been a very basic and physical communication, such as gestures and body movements, that would have been essential for conveying ideas and intentions. I believe that these hominins would have had the intelligence to communicate to a high standard, but the pressure to develop a complex language would not have been there like it has apparently been in the last half a million years. I still believe that hominins would have gradually improved their communication skills slowly but surely over the course of the last three million years. But that seems more like a simple and obvious common sense assumption now that I've been brave enough to state it. Now, as I suggested, there is an apparent change to hominin culture in the last half a million years, something which has not come up in any of our podcasts so far. It is at this point that we see the emergence of early forms of art. Art will suggest that there is a complex thought process taking place within the cerebral cortex of the brain. So let's take a closer look at this and see if we can establish some more facts with which we can work with to point us further towards understanding our capabilities to communicate with each other. Paleolithic art. So, through the study of the hyoid bones, scientists have guesstimated that humans had the physical capability to communicate in a way that we could describe as speech between six and 700,000 years ago, so just before the last half a million years. So we're going to go back to our friend from the Homo erectus episode, the obstinate Dutch paleoanthropologist Eugène de Bois and his Java man which he discovered in Trinil on the island of Java in what was then known as the Dutch East Indies, modern Indonesia. In 1891, Eugène de Bois discovered the bones of what would be called Java man 
which has been established to be a Homo erectus. However, Dubois found more than just these fossilised bones. He also found something very interesting, muscle shells of a species now extinct. It wasn't so much the fact that a new species of muscle had been found so much as the condition of the shells. The shells were dated to the same time as Java Man, so the shells must have been available for Java Man to handle. The shells had small holes made in them, which looked deliberately made at the hands of a dexterous animal. The shells also had deliberately carved zigzag patterns on them. After some experimentation with modern shells, the only obvious way to force the shells open would be to cook them. It is uncertain whether Homo erectus at Java was a cook, like his relations in Gesher Benot Yaakov in Israel. Should a hole be made in a shell similar to the holes in those discovered, then the shell would very likely open without the need for fire. The reason for this is that the hole would pierce the muscle of the muscle, allowing the shell to open without resistance. This would suggest that possibly Homo erectus was using something sharp, like a shark's tooth, to open the shell and probably eat the contents. After eating the muscle, Homo erectus would be left with a shell. Now there is a notable lack of stone tools recovered from the site at Trinil, Java. Therefore, it is thought that maybe Homo erectus manufactured a cutting tool from the sharp edges of the shell. A simple little bit of modification and it would be very effective. The big quiz is regarding the carved zigzags and what they signify and symbolise. The zigzag can only be described as deliberate and carving looks like it's been done with care. It is quite geometric, meaning that it is not randomly and hurriedly hacked onto the surface of the shell. It is a very neat zigzag. Could it have been a means to identify the tool? The one with the zigzag is the tool and not just a discarded food item. Could it have been a means to identify ownership of the tool? Maybe the one with the zigzag specifically belonged to an individual who would have taken umbrage to another using his shell and not his own. Was it simply an act of boredom? Whatever the answer is, regardless of dexterity, it does show a considered act that would require a degree of cognitive ability and therefore it would be a portion to an individual who would have been able to linguistically communicate to a significant level. Certainly when studying our cognitive ability to speak to one another in a language, we have studied the artistic ability of humans, not least of all the abstract art we find in cave paintings from the last 50,000 years. So it would make sense to track artistic work back to its origins to establish the human capacity for abstract thought. The shell carvings at Trinil are pretty much the earliest evidence of art. Prehistoric art is something that we will explore in further detail in a future podcast. Conclusion I will tentatively, with my limited expertise, summarise and conclude what we have discussed in this podcast. Three million years ago, the Australopithecines would have very likely been communicating with one another, sharing information about food and predators with a series of body movements and shrieks, 
not unlike modern chimpanzees. Over time, Australopithecines made way for Homo habilis. Homo habilis would have undoubtedly had much more controlled way of communicating, and probably more complex than the Australopithecines. It would have likely not resembled modern human conversation at all, but would have been enough for two of them to have shared an intimate experience of showing each other how to create the odd older one stoneflake tool or two. But the skill would have been much more of a watch and learn experience than a lecture which would have been completely beyond Homo habilis. Moving forward to Homo erectus, I think that maybe the grunts and groans would have formed a kind of language that a fellow Homo erectus would have been able to determine the insinuations of. There would have been vocal noises that would have alerted fellow Homo erectus to dangers such as predators and very likely vocal noises to describe the type of predator and maybe even the amount of predators and the distance away that they were. You could even suggest that this is a sentence in a very basic form. They probably had many hundreds of names for things but they would not have had the range of sounds and the ability to control the air going through their vocal cords to construct syllables they still would have only been able to make basic sounds. It was very likely not until Homo erectus was coming towards the end of its tenure around a half a million years ago that the vocal ability of hominins started to become more like modern humans. Grunts and noises would have become more like words, but it would have been a very basic communication. A sentence would have probably not contained much more than a handful of words, partly because it wouldn't have been completely necessary to have a wide vocabulary, and the receiver would not have had the mental capacity to process a complex conversation. The basic needs would have been all that needed to be communicated, and there is no evidence of much abstract thought such as a religion or complex society until the emergence of much more modern humans such as Homo sapiens and their cousins, the Homo neanderthalensis, who not only would have had the modern physicality to speak in sentences, but have had the cognitive ability to think abstract thoughts, albeit in a very basic manner to begin with. Next time, we're going to go back to the chronological story and meet the Neanderthals in an episode which I have been very much looking forward to. I would imagine that the Neanderthal episode is probably one of the more highly anticipated episodes of this paleoanthropological prehistoric volume of podcasts. So I'm really looking forward to getting involved with them and learning more about this pop culture inspiring strange human. Thank you very much to those of you who have been following the podcast. This first volume, which is the prehistoric volume, will go on for around about 25 podcasts before we move into the ancient period. And that will be volume two of the podcast. So we're going to be constructing it in volumes. There's going to be seven main volumes and it's going to take us a long time to get through them. However, it should build up a fantastic library of history and we can visit the periods which interest you more than anything. Also, I'd be very willing to hear from you if there's any aspects of periods that we cover, especially this period at the moment, where you want to find out more, because 
the direction of this podcast is also very much down to you. So although I've got a game plan as where this is going, I'm very much at your mercy. It's your podcast. I'm very interested in what you think. So I invite you to interact with me. Either email me at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com or get in touch with me through the Facebook page. You'll recognise the logo. Come and visit me. Give me your feedback. Instigate a conversation between fellow History of the World podcast listeners. I really want to share these videos of Washoe the Chimpanzee, which are absolutely fantastic. Fascinating watch. It's about an hour in two YouTube videos. I highly recommend you make time to watch it. It will really give you the facility to gain your own opinions about chimpanzee language and how we can transpose that onto making our minds up what could have happened with speech and language throughout our evolution over the last three million years. So I'm really interested in your opinions. Please go and watch it and please contact me. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, it's a big week, the Neanderthals. I can't wait until we link up again. So thanks for listening and cheerio. The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Please consider making a financial contribution by going to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website and clicking on the Patreon link. Email the show at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com And don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. See you next time.